Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives. As we head into the Labor Day weekend, there will be no Three Martini Lunch on Monday. We will be tanned, rested, and ready, and not only back to school for most of the country, but back to the Three Martinis come Tuesday. But, Jim, let's start with our good martini. And this comes to us from Neil Cavuto of Fox News. For those who follow social media and, well, the president's Twitter feed in particular, you know that uh, he's lost a little bloom off the rose for Fox News. He still has his loyalists, Tucker, Sean, Laura, in the evening, and for the most part, Fox and Friends in the morning. But uh, there's been a little bit more criticism uh, during the rest of the day. Shep Smith's been at it for a while, obviously, but uh, other folks feel like they can call a spade a spade when it comes to the president's statements or his policies. And, well, apparently the negative comments are now too much for the president. And so he tweeted out that Fox News isn't working for us anymore. Brian Kilmeade of Fox and Friends actually pushed back in an interview with the president on his radio show. And then Neil Cavuto, uh, the host uh, not only on Fox Business but in the afternoons on the regular Fox News channel, went after Trump as well, in a very professional way. There weren't epithets and ad hominems here. It was just very straight to the point of what a news organization's supposed to be and what it's not. Fox isn't working for us anymore. Well, first of all, Mr. President, we don't work for you. I don't work for you. My job is to cover you, not fawn over you or rip you, just report on you, to call balls and strikes on you. My job, Mr. President, our job here is to keep the scores, not settle scores. Now, in my case, to report the economic numbers when they're good and when they're bad, when the markets are soaring and when they're tumbling, when trade talks look like they're coming together and when they look like they're falling apart. It is called being fair and balanced, Mr. President, yet it is fair to say you're not a fan when that balance includes stuff you don't like to hear or facts you don't like to have questioned. You're only human. I get that. Who likes to be corrected? But you are the president. It comes with the job, just like checking what you say and do comes with my job. After all, I'm not the one who said tariffs are a wonderful thing. You are. Just like I'm not the one who said Mexico would pay for the wall. You did. Just like I'm not the one who claimed that Russia didn't meddle in the 2016 election. You did. Now, I'm sorry you don't like these facts being brought up, but they are not fake because I did. What would be fake is if I never did. Jim, I think that's a very refreshing take on what the role of the media is, particularly in such a polarizing environment. And it's not only a good rant against the president, it's a good rant against uh, the media in general. I mean, you can argue about how well or how poorly Fox actually calls the balls and strikes and whether they actually do that a lot of the time. But if you look at the other cable channels, they're clearly doing it in the opposite direction, not balls and strikes, but very much uh, partisan. So I think this is a good uh, slap across the face for a lot of people in the media, as well as the president of the United States. You know, Greg, as I was listening to that, I kind of started to miss, I think somebody was on Fox News for a bunch of years. Remember when Frank Luntz used to come in after a debate? Yes. And he had some sort of like amazing gadget that was attached. I guess he had people turning a dial or maybe attached to their pulse or measuring their brain waves with these giant <laughs> wires attached. There was something where basically he could tell how people felt uh, when people were watching a comment, whether they felt more positive and agreed or whether they felt more negative and disagreed. 
I'd really love to see what the response of Fox News viewers was at that moment and whether at that moment they were saying, you're absolutely right, Neil. You know, this is exactly what the job of the media is. It's not to be a cheerleader for the president. You know, the president is not always going to like it. That's uh, that's just the, the way it is. The president has to stop whining about this sort of thing. Fox News doesn't owe him anything. Um, this is, you know, exactly, or whether they're like, no, Neil, you're wrong. The president is under attack from liberals in the media, and your job is to defend him. And this is a very, you know, this argument echoes a great deal of the arguments that I think a whole bunch of folks in right of center or conservative media get. Uh, certainly, you know, questions and arguments came around National Review uh, dating back to 2015, 2016. Trump is a particularly bad example of this, but there's plenty of all kinds of these examples left, right, and center. And I think it was a couple weeks ago when Trump gave his address about the shootings, the New York Times put up a headline that was perfectly accurate, you know, Trump calls for unity after shootings or something like that. And liberals lost their minds. And there was so much pressure on the New York Times that they had, they, they eventually went in and said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to change the headline. The headline looked a lot more critical of the president than the first one. What do you want, readers and listeners? My sneaking suspicion is, is that a whole lot of people think that Trump is right. They don't tune in to Fox News to hear anything about something he might be doing wrong. They don't tune in because they want to hear he said something that wasn't accurate. They want to hear, tell me why the president is right. Tell me why I am right. Tell me why my side is winning. Tell me why my side is doing fine. Throughout the 2018 midterms, you know, if you, if you argued about how the midterm elections looked, there was probably somebody who was going to say, no, no, there's a red wave. And Trump himself said, we're going to see a red wave in the 2018 midterms. And it didn't happen. Did okay in the Senate. But a whole bunch of governor's races went bad and they lost the House and it was a big 40-point swing. There's a question of like, do people, I think a really big question for people in the news, do people still want to hear the news? Or do they, or does the appetite for, no, no, tell me why I'm right. Tell me why things are going okay. Tell me my side is winning have become such overwhelming aspects of the reader and viewer and listener appetite that there's really less and less room for anything that might not be what they want to hear. Uh, I salute Cavuto. I think it'd be really interesting to see what, there are probably some very fascinating conversations going on in Fox News right now about this sort of topic. Uh, I think Cavuto is doing exactly what he ought to do, and I hope the, the viewership of Fox News sticks with them. I'm less than 100% certain that that outcome will occur, though, Greg. Well, when it comes to cable news uh, and perhaps online news and traditional news in the print version as well, it seems like being more strident ends up getting more eyeballs. I remember MSNBC in its first few years was pretty much a traditional news operation and obviously leaned a little to the left, but it wasn't crazy. And then as the George W. Bush administration got going, it became far more strident to the left and its ratings got better. CNN tried to stay more in the middle and uh, was getting crushed. And now CNN, perhaps uh, thinking it learned the lesson from that, has become more strident as well. Hasn't really helped their ratings much, but it seems like a lot of folks have decided that on the business side of things, uh, it makes a whole lot more sense to have a take than to play it straight. Yeah. And you're know, just kind of a note to add there. First of all, thinking back to the early MSNBC days, Greg, remember when Keith Olbermann used to say someone was the worst person in the world? Sure. On the one hand, that was clearly meant as a certain element of uh, comic hyperbole, right? You'd like to think the worst person in the world was bin Laden or al-Baghdadi or Robert Mugabe. I'm sure you can come up with some really good nominees of serial killers 
and you know, the, the genuinely horrible people. But whichever Republican had irked him that day, Oberman was going to say, "This is the worst person in the world." And I just wondered a world where, like, you know, guys are milling off uh, non-functioning mail bombs and school shooters, synagogue shooters, the person shooting up the baseball field with the Republican congressman. You know, whether whether that I don't think I'm not saying that, you know, anything Olbermann said motivated any of that, but whether comic hyperbole of Joe, John Goldberg used to joke, you know, uh, it was Jimmy Carter. That's history's greatest monster. Jimmy Carter was a pretty darn disappointing president. That's not enough to make him one of history's greatest monster. But whether there's some segment of people out there who either can't discern comic hyperbole or buy into it so much that, you know, politics is a life and death struggle against an opponent that wants to destroy you. Um, that this stuff becomes, uh, uh, you know, kind of kind of gets into their thinking and goes into some very dark and dangerous places. The other thing about, you know, CNN, for a long time, CNN's ratings were directly proportional to what was blowing up in the world. Um, the old joke, there was a joke within the hallways that it was fire alarm television. When there was a coup, when there was a war, when, you know, terrorist attack, natural disaster, when there was something like, oh, my God, are you watching this? This is this is terrible, you know. That's when you turned into CNN because you were less interested in the more right of center talking heads yelling at each other on Fox News or the more left of center talking heads yelling at each other on MSNBC. And I think, you know, CNN said, you know what, it's we can't count on a terrorist attack every day. (laughs) We can't account on uh, some terrible natural disaster that makes people watch in large numbers. So we need to have some sort of identity. And the interesting to argue whether the idea of like the Russia investigation or other things that have been really heavily covered by cable news over the last couple of years has been this attitude of, you know, uh, somebody said the omnipresent breaking news uh, cryon at the bottom of the screen. You know, if this has been reported for a while, it's it's no longer breaking news. You can put you can put the, the bag down. Well, they start every hour with that all day long. Breaking um, now? No, it just happened. It's not it's not breaking. You know, breaking news used to mean something. You know, so anyway. Yes, I become- again. If your cable news is yeah, you know, you know, viewers. Things are okay. Don't worry. <laughs> They're not going to keep watching. I remember when we first got the cable news in the office. Every time I heard a Fox News alert or the CNN breaking news sounder, I'd whip around and see what was going on. Now I don't even flinch. Uh, right. just, uh... 2001 to 2003, 2004, it meant the you-know-what had hit the fan somewhere. <laughs> right. And it's like, am I going to have to evaluate? You know, bum, 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 bum. This is a CNN breaking news report. And you're like, who, who mailed anthrax today? Right. You know, what what blew up? Is my commute going to be ruined by nerve gas? Right, you, you, you had to pay attention to that kind of stuff, and now it's like you know, oh, so and so is leaving the presidential race. You know, I'm fine. <laughs> I can live with it. You could have waited five minutes. You didn't need to set. You know, this, this was this was not code red on the old color coded Homeland Security level. Oh, this could take us down a terrible rabbit trail. But I don't know how many breaking news alerts, and I use that term in quotes, that you get on your phone. But the news organizations are taking great liberties with that. Now it's stuff like, she thought she just had a cold. You won't believe what it actually was. I mean, that's, I don't need that. If it's Ebola, put it in the headline. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well done, Cavuto. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now, Jim. And we had a feeling things might be heading in this direction, but uh, it's been happening for a while now. And... It's really not good when it comes to abortion and where the left is on this. Uh, Pew Research has done some new polling here. According to Pew, back in 2007, 63% of Democrats favor legal abortion in all or most cases. In 2019, 
82%. Now, I guess you could have a little bit of wiggle room on what they mean by most cases versus all cases and so forth. But if you break it down, all Democrats, 82%. Uh, believe that it should be legal in all or most cases, 17 oppose. Among conservative or moderate Democrats, it's fun to know that there are still some of those left, 75% uh, say it should be legal in all or most cases, 25% say no, and liberals, the split is 91 to 1. Among Republicans, you might be surprised to know that 36% of Republicans believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases, 62% say no. Among conservatives, 77% say no, 22% say yes. And among the moderates slash liberals, it's 57% say legal in all or most cases, 41% say no. So, Jim, overall, the Republican trend line has actually gone down slightly over the past 12 years, from 39 to 36%. But now you've got fully more than four out of five Democrats believing pretty much what the Democrats on stage believe, and maybe even Ralph Northam believes, that uh, anything right up to the moment of delivery is fair game. Really troubling because, as you mentioned there, Greg, the numbers had been moving in the pro-life direction for quite a while. I mean, not uh, not overwhelmingly. I still you know, think that there are a whole bunch of Americans who are somewhere in that mushy middle where do they agree that life begins at conception? Eh, probably not. They're probably okay with morning after pills. They you know, think about, God, what if this happened to my daughter? But on the other hand, when things start going in the other extreme, when you start seeing partial birth abortion, when you start seeing abortions in that last trimester, they start getting morally uncomfortable with it because the fetus, the child within, looks an awful lot like a baby, and no one wants to murder a baby. So what's going on with this poll? My sneaking suspicion is, look, we're in a really impassioned, furious partisan era. And we've noticed Democrats insisting that not, you know, that the old you know, saying amongst a lot of folks on the right is that, look, Democrats have come a long way since Bill Clinton's safe, legal and rare. And there's a lot of reasons that a lot of people on both sides wouldn't love a Democratic policy of safe, legal and rare. Pro-lifers are going to say, well, you're you've still got a policy that you're making safe and legal. I guess, safe, I guess no one really wants unsafe abortions. Um, but the idea that you're making it legal, this is something we see as morally akin or, or the equivalent of murder. You're, you're, you know, I, I can't like that. But at the same time, when you say that it's rare, you're kind of acknowledging that there's something wrong with it. And you're acknowledging that it's something that is at the very minimum morally troubling, if not becoming something uncomfortably close to murder. And that is the sort of thing that, you know, people kind of try to navigate through this issue since the Roe v. Wade decision back in 1970s. Where we are now is an argument from mostly young progressives, but probably a whole bunch of some other folks who aren't so young, making the argument of no, not only is it not something that should be legally permitted, not only is it not a necessary evil of some kind, but that it is a moral good of some kind, or at the very least that there is nothing wrong with it morally. And ergo, not only, you know, that old, you know the t-shirts shout your abortion and all that kind of stuff, that um, the reluctance to talk about it, which we on the right, we are pro-life, always saw was a representation of the pro-choices side's deep-rooted discomfort with this. That they believed it ought to be legal, but they sure as heck didn't want to see the pictures of it. They sure as heck didn't want to see videos of it. They really, deep down, didn't even want to think about it. That's why they kept using the term choice. Nobody wanted to describe themselves as being pro-abortion, right? Well, I guess they make the argument now that some chunk of the left is not merely pro-choice, but is in fact pro-abortion, and in fact recoils and wants to push back upon this argument that even if you thought for the purposes of societal uh, cohesion, stability, et cetera, et cetera, that it had to remain legal, the the general consensus that it was something that should be avoided uh, and something of a tragedy, no, 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 they've they've decided to break away from that. It can't be that anymore. Um, 
I don't think this will continue ter terribly long because I think this is a temporary setback. I think it is not helpful when the figures who are most often associated with the pro-life movement, President Trump, maybe an outspoken evangelical like, say, Roy Moore. Uh, I think it's safe to say the Catholic Church has had its own share of unpleasant scandals in the not-so-distant history. These are ugly scandals that make powerful men look like a bunch of hypocrites. Now, the great irony, of course, is that the pro-life movement is generally run by women. Um, that, in fact, women are much more likely to be pro-life. The demographic that is most likely to support abortion are generally young males. I'll let our listeners do the math on that one. But, uh, you know, that's that's where things stand. So my suspicion is, is that, one, this reflects polarization and partisan, you know, increasing partisan attitudes, and also a general sense that, like, look, we probably don't have the single most ideal or persuasive uh, advocates for the pro-life cause with Trump as president and some other uh, deeply flawed individuals carrying the banner on there. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And of course, Jim, we know that Hurricane Dorian is headed towards Florida. The models are all over the place on where it might actually make landfall, but uh, a lot of different areas are potentially in the path. So we encourage everyone to play it smart and uh, hunker down, stock up on supplies if you haven't already done already. But uh, President Trump has announced that he's not going to Poland to commemorate the start of the uh, World War II, 80th anniversary of that, which is September 1st, he's going to stay home and monitor the hurricane. But while Trump's trying to stay on top of that, you've got other folks making really bizarre comments, including the former prime minister of Canada. Kim Campbell is her name, and this is from the Daily Wire. On Thursday, the only woman to ever serve as the prime minister of Canada issued a horrifying tweet in which she stated she wanted the deadly hurricane Dorian to strike President Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago. In response to a tweet from a scientist warning that Dorian was a major hurricane threat to the East Coast this weekend and that Florida was in the hurricane's crosshairs, Kim Campbell tweeted, quote, I'm rooting for a direct hit on Mar-a-Lago. And someone responded to her by saying, what the heck is wrong with you? There are real people who live and work there. Kim Campbell's response, as there are in Puerto Rico. Sorry you don't get snark, but Trump's indifference to suffering is intolerable. Would also help if he tackled climate change, which is making hurricanes more destructive. Instead, he will remove limits on methane. Get a grip. So, uh, Jim, I'm sure if a Republican joked about a hurricane headed towards a prominent liberal's uh, beachfront property, the response would be just as muted as it is with this. Greg, you have her comment right there in front of you. What was it she said was intolerable again? Trump's indifference to suffering is intolerable. Indifference to suffering <laughs> is intolerable. Ergo, she's rooting for the hurricane to hit directly <laughs> in the middle of Florida. Does, does she grasp the fact that she's doing exactly what she's denouncing, right? You know, uh, that old saying, you know, if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss stares back. You know, if you chase after monsters long enough, you may eventually become a monster. She is exhibiting exactly the trait that she is saying is not merely, you know, a moral failing, but is intolerable. She is telling other people that they should not tolerate her. And what she's saying in that exact statement, um, I think is probably a good example. Here's the thing. Yeah, it's Friday. Everybody, we're heading towards a three-day weekend. It's time to step back and take the 10,000-foot you know, look. Greg, we talk about politics every single day. We see, you know, there's, people have noticed there are a lot of days it's all crazy <laughs> because there are a lot of crazy things in the news, a lot of crazy things that get said. I think if you're not a well-grounded person, if you don't have a life outside of politics, if you don't have 
hopefully, hopefully every listener to this podcast has friends, has family, has, you know, like they listen to us, they have some laughs, they have a good time, they you know go home from work and, you know, maybe they have a pizza with their friends or, you know, go out for a drink with their buddies or, or something happens that, you know, makes them feel comfortable and at home and, and something where like they don't sit back at home alone and stew and they don't find themselves on the internet saying somebody on the internet is wrong, right? Battling on Twitter or something like that. I kind of worry about this Canadian prime minister. Um, one, I'm a little worried that she was prime minister and I never heard of her. Uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> That's I'm not totally on top of Canadian news, but look, I mean, Justin Trudeau, you know, like people have been talking about him ever since he was in a boy band. Um, people know him. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody was out sick one day and she was acting prime minister that day. Anyway, whatever, whoever she is, this is a really horrible thing to say. And a bit like the uh, GW professor who called Brett Stevens a bed bug earlier this week, you kind of wish somebody would, you know, so somebody who knows her would kind of check on her and say, um, Madam Prime Minister, I assume she keeps the title long after she leaves the job. Are you feeling okay? It, you, you probably, you know, you, you come across as kind of a jerk when you say, oh, I hope that hurt. Because, you know, one, the point that that person who responded points out, it's not like it's Trump sitting there alone in Mar-a-Lago right now or ever, right? There's always, in addition to the Secret Service, in addition to the staff, in addition to all the presidential advisors and all that stuff, who do you think works at Mar-a-Lago? You think a bunch of millionaires and billionaires? You think they got, uh, I don't know, Shell Nielsen back in the kitchen chopping up the food for, for that night's dinner or something, right? Everybody, Mar-a-Lago, yes, it's in a you know, large compound and all that stuff. But if a hurricane hits Mar-a-Lago, it's going to hit all the communities around it. And it's not just billionaires and billionaires um, and big banks and all those people who everybody can't. You know, this hurricane hits Florida. It's going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to hurt a lot of people, good people, bad people, indifferent people, all in the middle. And you shouldn't be rooting for that, right? I can forgive getting really angry at your political opponents. You shouldn't hate your political opponents, but look, maybe we succumb to that. But to the point where you're rooting for hurricanes, like we, we, we thought rooting for a recession was bad, right? But, you know, what, what's the, you know, we've, rooting for, we've got people rooting for a recession. We've got people rooting for hurricanes. What's next? Rooting for terrorists? Come on, bring it on, ISIS. This is, you know, it'll really stick it to Trump that way or something. There is a moral blindness here. This kind of shows how, how you know, it used to think it was kind of overwrought when you'd see it in fiction and Moby Dick when Captain Ahab loses all sense of perspective and judgment and all that stuff. Look, hate drives people to, to you know, to really crazy links here. And it's kind of frightening to see it amongst people who at one point were head of state for a country. So depressing, crazy note to end the weekend. I hope everybody has a good three-day weekend, Greg. And, uh, you know, folks, once you've clicked on all this stuff so I get appropriate traffic levels, feel free to get away from the internet. and come back immediately on monday on tuesday morning (laughs) thank you for mentioning the most important part jim you can go have a great weekend but make sure you click on all our stuff first uh first things first jim have a great weekend we'll talk to you tuesday see you tuesday greg jim garrity of national review i'm greg Columbus of radio america thanks for being with us today remember you can find us on those home devices now i have to say is play the three martini lunch podcast also find us on iTunes. Give us a nice review, particularly if you think we're worthy of five stars, which hopefully you do. And have a great weekend. See you back on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.